You can get the claps, just not the clap. Because the claps is when you do a good job. The oh, clap oh, yeah. is, could also be when you do a you good job. You always want claps. You don't it's, always want just that. Depends. What you're doing. You can get the clap whether you do a good job or not. Butterscotch shenanigans. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 63 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. <laughs> I'm Seth, and I'm the games <laughs> programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm the the, the web thrower. Mm, I'm Sam, time. and I I uh, am the vertex twister. Wow! Yeah. And normally uh, we good. have like that one. Carol here, but she is in a Carol coma a because car- because she organized our trip to PAX and put this entire thing together, and it was basically like she got hit by a freight train made of eighty thousand gamers. Yeah. And, so, and Pax Plague. Yeah. So she's uh, she's taking the day to relax and be dead mostly. Tis a deserved rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to three, three person human the podcast. Also, uh, this podcast might have profanity in it. Probably a shitload. So. Yeah. Uh, or a fuck ton. Yeah. So a if you're a. Metric ass butt. If you're a uh, <laughs> child, then you should have stopped listening yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> Uh, Heed the explicit tag on your podcast mm-hmm. player thing. So let's let's talk about PAX. Okay. What is PAX? Where is PAX? And why is PAX? Uh, PAX is all over the place. PAX is it's, it's been right inside you the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> PAX is uh, the Penny Arcade Expo. It's a huge gaming convention that's put on. Now there's four of them. In fact, I believe it's one every quarter now. Yeah, not at the same time. Not at the same time. They're yeah. in different parts yeah. of the country. So the one we just went to is, was PAX West, which I believe used to be PAX Prime. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't know. So uh, PAX West is out in Seattle. You should really call it PAX Northwest, though, because it's about as northwest as you can go. Before you're and what in if Canada. they want to add another one because they keep on adding them anyway? Oh, what if they put true. one in California? Then they'll change it to Northwest. Well, maybe they will have one in Canada And then they'll Canada get sued soon. by Kanye. Mm. God, good point. I, I think. took my daughter's name. Did they trademark the daughter's name, though? Probably. It's Kanye. <laughs> He's probably suing Compass Makers. Yeah. <laughs> they, do, they do put a capital W on it. Yeah. Yeah. Copyright infringement, man. Ridiculous. But PAX West is out in Seattle, so we got to go to Seattle for the first time, which is super cool. It was literally. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was wet and gray. Especially coming from St. Louis, which is, I think, 90-something degrees the day we left. Pure sun piercing right into your eyeballs yeah, we, all the time. We arrive in Seattle, and it's just completely overcast. It looks pretty dreary, to be honest. But, but it felt great. They do a great job. The city, apparently, is also referred to as the Emerald City, I learned, because... I think you're thinking about the Wizard of Oz. That's that's also, also the Emerald City. Well, yeah, that takes place in Seattle. In Seattle? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. The other brook road is the highway that gets you to Seattle. Right. Um, yeah, it's also known <laughs> as Highway 39 yeah. to the locals. But the, the uh, they do a really good job of keeping all this greenery up in the city. And, of course, it's so wet there because it's raining constantly. Like, I think it was pretty much just quietly raining the whole time we were yeah. there. The all, the plants, all the plants are like, fuck yes. Yeah. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's actually really, it was a very beautiful city. Um, even though it was overcast all the time. It didn't, it didn't feel dreary, I guess, even though it was. Yeah, but we weren't there for it? that long, though. So I think it if could, you were there long enough, you might go into a deep, dark depression. Yeah. Or you just play a shitload of video games. Yeah, which I guess is... And be depressed, maybe. I don't yeah. Know. You can do that in sunny places, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Seattle was very cool. Um, we had a great place to, to stay. We had a little We got a little cottage via Airbnb, which was somehow cheaper than getting a hotel. Uh, and it was awesome. So that was, that was a fun little, mm-hmm. little shindig. Um, 
the biggest thing for us was, was getting all of our stuff there. So we were part of the PAX 10, which is a group of curated indie games that get sort of special placement on the floor of this show. And the PAX West show has about 60,000. Is that right? 60,000? 60, 70, 100. There's a lot of people. I guess that's, that's the number. There's also a lot. a lot of badge piracy. Badge piracy. You know, oh, yeah, there's people making fake badges. Yep. And there's scalpers everywhere. And there's... It's just chaos. Yeah, so the actual number of unique visitors would probably be significantly higher. Either Nobody except, knows. Yeah. I didn't know that pirating the badges was so easy. They had a big sign out, like a huge sign outside that said, on I think on day two or three, mm. they were like, there are many like cardboard laminated fake badges being produced. Huh. So, you know, whatever. Be careful what you're buying on the street. Buy on street yeah. Which is a good rule of thumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so we, in, in the PAX 10, it was us plus nine other indie devs who had been selected as this sort of... Uh, I don't know. Best of the best, pretty much. Pretty much. So <laughs> we, go there, we got this little table. It's where all of us have tables or arranged. They a big were like, "You guys are the best." Here's a tiny table. Here's a tiny table. But they didn't give us a TV, which is nice. So well, they didn't give it to us. We just borrowed yeah. it. Well, yeah, we didn't get to take it home. Unfortunately, did we take it home. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we didn't have to cart that in, but we we brought in a bunch of materials. Um, you guys have probably heard us talking about Andy's arcade cabinet which turned into a wedge last week. Mm-hmm. Um, it devolved into a more rudimentary form, but yeah. it did the job. Actually, I'm, I'm looking at the original one. It's got, I don't know, like what, 10 pieces or something? Yeah. It's very elaborate. Yeah, the, the final it's version beautiful. has exactly one piece. Yeah. It's Look. shaped like a fighter jet, though, when it's unfolded, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. Yeah. So uh, we got there and got our stuff unpacked on Thursday night and uh, got our booth all set up by booth, I mean table. And so it was an interesting setup because we're arranged in this big rectangle and i think so there's, there's a lot of indie devs that or i guess just game developers in general who want to go to pax and to go uh, exhibit at pax and one thing we sort of had had the question in the back of our mind is what is this actually for and what's this going to do for us well because it's easy to be like to just be like it's the biggest gaming convention in in wherever there's gonna be seventy thousand right? players who'll get to see your game right but or to be what like, does that mean we got into the pax 10 which means that we're like Good to go. And everyone's going to want to talk to us and tell everybody else in the world about our game. Yeah. So people like to think that sort of like just naming facts about the convention is a sufficient reason to be there. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it actually doesn't really mean anything necessarily, which yeah. we discovered. So that there's, there's an interesting sort of trials and tribulations over the week or over the weekend as we ran into, I think, what our either our expectations were or our hopes actually about what we would get from the event versus what we actually were getting which I think I'd like to dive into it a little bit. So, Let's go. Uh, what, what do you guys think? Uh, what, what do you think is sort of some of the, the general expectations that an indie developer would have going into an event like PAX where they either have a booth or a table? Table in our case, but if you let it booth. Yeah, I think, I think there's one big expectation that people are going to have, which is definitely not the case, uh, which is that being at a convention and getting sort of that exposure to players is somehow going to have a meaningful impact on the number of sales you have mm-hmm. or number of people who play your game. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely not the case. Well, at least it's not sufficient to yeah. cause that to happen. Yeah. Um, so we, we've started looking at the data of our sales numbers, you know, during all this stuff. Um, we're still we're still parsing it and kind of waiting for anything meaningful. Well, yeah, to we want to give it a few days too to kind of come to a rest that we can look back yeah. and see what the um, expectation is that people probably haven't bought all the games that they wanted to buy from PAX just yet because they it's a crazy four day thing and then they got to go back to work mm-hmm. this week, etc. So the longer gonna, they wait, the less likely they are to yeah. do it. So we think we're going to do. And people will have seen week. hundreds and hundreds of games at PAX, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so even if they all. sat down and played yours for 
20 minutes, um, you're, it's not the only thing they did for four days. Yep. Right. They, there was a lot of other games. So mm-hmm. the chance of them, uh, first of all, seeing your game, there's 80,000 people there. There's several floors, lots of different ex, you know, expo halls. A lot of people um, spend most of their time waiting in lines. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the expo hall areas are huge. And some people may not even get around to getting to your part of the building, you know? Um, so, so out of that 80,000, it automatically filters down to you so know, much some smaller much number. smaller group that'll actually even walk past your game. And then depending on all kinds of other things, like uh, were they with a friend who was excited about some other thing that was nearby? And when they walked past your game, really they were just, they weren't looking for games to play. They were just walking past it to get to something else, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's also possible that maybe they wanted to play your game, but if they had a group with them, they didn't want to make the group wait. So maybe they trended toward playing games that fit playing with a group more mm-hmm. um, or all the spots were full. They were like, Oh, I'll come back later. And, and they forgot. Forget. Yeah. Right. So um, the, well, there is the, then no be all as it currently, as it currently stands from looking at all of our stats, we have seen no increase besides what you would consider general noisiness, mm-hmm. uh, in our sales data to suggest that going to packs increases your sales. Yeah. yeah. And we were, sure we were just also, we were not selling steam keys or anything like that on Mall the reader. show floor, yeah. which I think some people were doing or somehow got permission to do. Um, Probably not. Yeah. But in, <laughs> yeah, in that, in that case, in that case, you know, of those people we talked to, it was definitely it was great. It was definitely good for them. Um, but like, not, I mean, not good as in like it was worth. No, it going. definitely didn't cover the cost of being right. <laughs> it, just, it offset some of it the cost of attending. Of right. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, so it's not a good, it's a very expensive advertising strategy with a, with a negative return on investment, at least for the short, short term that you are in packs and probably the week after in terms of direct you talking to players and then them going out and buying your game as a consequence. Right. So we our our expectations that when we look at the data after we wait a week or so is that that's probably as as much time as we need to give it to see if the people who saw our game whatever else would actually buy it. Yeah. If they wait longer than a week, whatever. Now, some of our listeners might be thinking, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, you're not going to go to a expo hall for four days and actually sell hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of copies of your game, right? Uh, so why do we go then? Yeah, so this brings us to the next point, which is uh, sort of, I mean, it's basically the same thing, but on two different fronts. So it actually all comes down to meeting people and not just fan people, because obviously we're there to see our fans. But also crab people. Yeah, mainly crab people, because if you boil them, delicious, delicious. Shaped like crab, talk like people. Feed a family of four for three days. Yeah. So we, besides the crab people, though, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, there are actually three. Sorry. I, yeah. Yeah. The, ma- the main reason for going is actually to interact with both our platform holders. So that's anything from, uh, Google play or iTunes or steam to Twitch or YouTube. So any, anybody who has a platform that we can utilize in some regard, and then also to go and chat with other devs who we either really respect the, either the games they make or the way that they conduct their business or just have who seem like they have some things figured out that we haven't figured out yet. Um, and this, this was an interesting one, I think, for us because we, we were hoping that there would be some sort of sales boost, of course. I think I was personally surprised that there's no detectable. I wasn't. Yeah, I like to brag that I wasn't surprised. Yeah. It I seems. Like, I mean, I'd like to think that there'd be like a, a no, little I, bit. I think my guess know? is when we go do a really careful analysis of the thing, we're going to see, it's going to be not, we won't be able to differentiate it from noise. I think because okay. there's enough weekly variability that like a change of five or 10% or whatever 
is you can't you can't cast it to, to be blamed on any specific thing. Uh, but I think it's highly likely that that probably we're going to end up with is being like, it's going to be probably a plus 10% or something like that for those four days. Like, like we're going to get a little bit of a boost in the positive direction. It's just that because it'll be so small relatively. It'll be indiscernible. Well, we won't and, be and, able I to think, and I think if you really, that. if you really ponder the funnel, mm-hmm. you've got, so you got like 80,000 people, let's say hypothetically 20,000 of them actually came to our floor, sure. you know, over the weekend. Um, we know that probably something like 300 ish people played our demo. Right. Yeah. Um, but of those, most of them, after they played, who bothered to ask, asked us when the game is coming out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which means there's an implication there that a lot of the games on the show mm. floor aren't even available for sale. Right. Right. And right. so. So why would they go look for right. it? So, so there had to be people who not only walked past our booth, but had enough interest in the game to either play it or remember to buy it or whatever. Mm. And then also to think that, Hey, maybe this game is actually available right now. I'm going to go look for it as opposed to thinking that it's, you know, this suggests that we should have put up a available now side. Yeah. Yeah. Although there is another, (laughs) certainly does, (laughs) but there's another important point with this, um, which is that the reason that these kinds of things are so hard to measure in terms of their impact is, is for this very kind of reason, right? If people came, didn't even realize that the game was available, then yeah, they're not going to even go look for it. But if, say in December, we launched the creator patch, if we pull that off, and all of a sudden it's all over the news sources, the kind of mm-hmm. people who go to PAX are the kind of people who read news sources, right? And now they're going to see this game for the second time, mm-hmm. which means they'll be a little more likely to buy it maybe. Right. Are right. you advocating for the mere exposure effect? Uh, no, I would never advocate <laughs> for it because we can't measure I it. I mean, right? that it's that it might be a thing? No, I, I believe the mere exposure effect exists. So the, the reason that Seth is asking this is because I'm always harassing him about how I don't believe <laughs> that the media matters. Yeah. Drop that fucking <laughs> right. bomb right there. <laughs> Uh, but no, seriously though, it's, it's not you even, don't, you don't believe that it can convince people of, well, it's not even that it's that, uh, it, the question of, of why people buy our games or any games, right. And why some games are more successful than other and whether this can be, how much of this can just be purely attributed to the fact that it's on the front page. And that's how most people discover games, mm-hmm. like the front page of their store versus having lots of exposure and all kinds of media outlets. Because what I maintain is that most people who buy games don't actually read media about games which may or may not be true yep i don't know yep. probably research on that somewhere there probably yeah. is but, it, but it's a very hard thing to measure and but as we know most research yeah. is totally full of shit and right? this yeah. is of course we've had this conversation before but it's interesting so yeah yeah so this is also assuming that the people who read stuff don't talk about the stuff they read right to their other friends who might which, don't who don't read things but are interested in games right in which of course they probably do but what this all comes down to is there's there's this big question of how many game sales can be purely attributed to just somebody comes onto the store it's on the front page and they buy it and then maybe at that point because there's a huge amount of exposure there start telling their friends about it and telling other people just reminds me i bought a game last night it was on the front page yeah what'd you buy, <laughs> what'd you buy? uh it's called red red out oh, yeah. it's like a it's a racing yeah yeah game really kind of like f-zero i guess mm-hmm. uh and it's VR capable. I don't have Ooh. I don't have a VR headset. So you can throw up while you're driving. It is a fast game, <laughs> and it, but it's, it's crazy because the 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 race that I was doing, it was like I just was doing the first race. I was trying to win the first race, and uh, I played it I think like nine times or something. And every single time, I would be in like fifth or sixth place out of six, and the first place person would be like point five seconds ahead of me Whoa. out of a two minute race. <laughs> 
Right. So it's so like everyone's just like packed together. Super yeah. Tight. I mean, the problem is there's there's a collision between the vehicles. Oh. And sometimes when you collide, your vehicle literally just flips backwards. And so like I sometimes I'd get in first and I'm like, yeah. Then all of a sudden somebody just like doink and they just like poke me from behind. And then all of a sudden I'm backwards and now I <laughs> am in sixth again. Whoa. Right? So huh. super fun game. Mm-hmm. But I gotta work on it. But anyways, I bought it because <laughs> I opened up Steam last night and I was like, I'm gonna play some games. I haven't played games in a while. Mm-hmm. Look yeah. through. I always go to the store page first. Yep. yep. Every time I open up Steam, and if there's something that's on the front page that sounds intriguing or that I've heard about and believe it will be intriguing, then I go look into it and decide I'm going to buy it. Well, and I mean, we've seen this effect ourselves, where when we have a when we have a storefront feature on a game launch, um, the difference in sales from that from while that's on the front page to when it's not on the front page is, is something enormous. on the order of 20 X, mm-hmm. if not 50 X, depending on right. Like if you're two weeks out from launch versus one week out from launch. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So then the main, that argu- is the thing. And then the main that argument matters. that this brings up is that if you look at other games at launch when crash landed, some of them did literally 10 to 20 times better mm-hmm. on their launch, even within a week of when we did uh, getting the same kind of feature treatment and that sort of thing. So the question that's left is, What's the difference? What's the difference? Is it because just differences in the games themselves or like the game pages or whatever were sufficient just to mean that the same number of people saw it, but more people bought it, which is possible. Or is it that those other games had a lot more hype and a lot more interest and stuff that was external to the stores that drove people to buy it? Well, there's also the idea of the tipping point, which Mm -hmm. is, which is there's a lot of social proof that comes in. If you look at a game that even if it's a $60 game, if it has 20,000 reviews on Steam, you're like, wow. This must be good. This is popular. Well, right? like, there must be something uh, going on with this. Is it RimWorld? That one that just came out? Yeah. Um, I had not heard about it at all, ever. I he- keep hearing then, it mentioned all over yeah, the place. Yeah, and then suddenly in, the, like, in a one-week window, because I happened to be, there's also while I was doing a bunch of prep stuff for PAX, so I happened to be on, mo- on a lot of the sites doing mm-hmm. research and stuff. Um, and I just kept on reading about it just over and over and over again. I was like, what the fuck is this? So I went to Steam and it was on the front page of Steam. I was like, okay. So good. And it's an early access. Which may be why people are talking about it yeah, or maybe it, it's the other way. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> because it, an early access game on the front page of Steam. This is a weird inverse because. It's a big deal. That's actually, that's a way higher standard bearer of quality than a lot of things because early access games do not get much coverage at all on Steam when yeah. they launch. In terms of features. Yeah. yeah. And so the fact that it was meant that this this thing was sticking for people for some reason. So I bought it. It's like 20 bucks. I was like, wow, this thing must be amazing. And people in the reviews were telling these hilarious stories about the stuff. Um, and it's cool, but I don't actually like the game at all. But I did buy it. Right? <laughs> I did buy it. I was sort of, I mean, I, I don't feel hoodwinked at all because clearly everybody else is enjoying the shit. It's just not much sort yeah. of thing. Um, I just yeah, wanted it's not to a see bad what the game. deal was. Just not know? the kind of game you're So you didn't, you didn't pull that move where you bought the game and you're like, no, maybe this game isn't for me and then demand a refund. You didn't, you didn't pull that yeah. move. I think I, well, I, mean, I played it. Good for, man. I, think, I played it for three or four hours because it's very, it's a big sort of system. Yeah, yeah. game. So I, I can't even refund it. But the whole point here is that a lot of people, a lot of devs actually think that going to uh, things like PAX or I mean, even like GDC or anything that stuff is, the, the purpose is more uh, player oriented when uh, it, it's our sort of opinion now that we've done one that what you should, what you should still focus on at these events is while you maintain a really good presence for your players, of course, and your fans come in, see you, chat a little bit, um, the purpose for you is a studio that actually lets you offset the huge costs of going because the costs are enormous. All of us are like sick now from going there. Yeah, we lost a, uh, at we least a week of dev time. Two travel left. days and four convention days. Yeah, and yeah. like, you know, Carol Carol was prepping for the whole thing for like you know, three weeks. I was on it a ton. Andy was on it a bit. It's like there's tons we brought, of... We brought 43 pounds of swag to give away. Yeah. <laughs> 
And we gave away like 15 pounds of buttons and pins. Yeah. Which is insane. Like the, the volume is huge. Yeah. Um, but the whole point is that actually from a, from a player to dev interaction standpoint, it's one of the lowest leverage activities you can do, honestly. Yeah. Um, but from a meeting with either media or platform holders thing, it's huge because it's one of the few times where you actually get everybody in the room at the same time. And this is the reason why GDC is such a good thing for game developers to go to. Um, not even, you don't even have to go to the talks. Like if you're just interested in going to GDC, just get an expo pass so you can get in the building basically. Mm-hmm. And then chat with people. Or even if that's outside your budget, just, just try go. to get a cheap hotel within like five blocks. And then hang out yeah. at the park. Just, hang, just, out, just yeah. hang out near the convention. Because the, the actual, tweet at people. yeah, the actual value is in the network potential there. And so, yeah. and we met a lot of people off site too. When yeah. We were at, at GDC. At GDC. And so what we did, uh, so Friday we were, we were, had the orientation, I think a little bit going in that uh, certain things would be handled for us, which ended up not being the case. So part of it was, uh, part of it was assuming that because we're in the PAX 10, that we would get some extra media exposure and that sort of things. Um, there's actually a media hour that happens the first day of PAX. The only day of PAX where the media get an extra hour to come in uh, from nine to 10 before the show floor opens. We assumed they'd be running around like animals trying to get all this stuff done. Get their uh, scoops. Nobody even came up to the sixth floor. That we know of. And it's not an exaggeration. Nobody at all. And there's Literally hundreds zero of people. <laughs> um, so that was, yeah. so we, we basically we had the, a few of these sort of things, which we, I guess I personally viewed more so as these sort of setbacks. Uh, like, Do you want to say why nobody came up? Because I so think it turns amazing. out it's amazing. The behemoth, who are awesome, who are fucking brilliant. Uh, mm-hmm. The behemoth every year apparently have a, a press breakfast at their booth on the fourth floor. They're just giving the away. One, and there's only one press morning. Yeah. As in, the press have an extra hour before everybody else comes in to go look at all the games. And the behemoth's so. like, hey, you guys want all these sandwiches and pastries and, <laughs> and coffee? And the press are like, yes. So the press <laughs> just go show up at the behemoth booth. It's like, like a press mixer. Yeah, like, it ends up being a like press they're mixer. They're all there getting their delicious the free breakfast. Yeah, and then the behemoth yep. is just like hanging out like, hey, guys, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, so if we would have <laughs> known about this, I would have just gone down to the fourth floor and hung out with and all the press. The yeah, poach yep. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I'm not even mad. No, it's, it's awesome. Brilliant. Like, <laughs> it's such a good it's idea. It's brilliant, yeah. But I think this brings us to the other thing, which is that uh, on, so after this day of Friday of sort of not getting the, uh, not getting to chat with people like we thought we'd be able to. Um, well, the other part just to, is that there are like, I mean, there are hundreds of developer yeah. developers there showing off their games. Maybe thousands even? I don't Probably know. Probably thousands. A lot. And so even if there were thousands of press, most of them want to see the exact same things, right. which are the biggest, splashiest, most amazing games, yeah. not the little indie games. Well, and not, yeah, not only that, but some, something that, that it's kind of a weird, uh, sort of like self-fulfilling cycle, right? But like things that already have a lot of hype, you know, yeah, the, more hype. Yeah. Like the press yeah. want to go get a scoop on that. And if it's something that's not out yet or whatever, that's even more exciting. Cause maybe they can get some kind of an exclusive scoop on it. You know, in our position, you know, games been out since January, We've got like a couple things coming up, um, but you know, people are going to get it no matter what. And most people have played the game who are going to play it. So the press is like, nah, nah, no problem. Old hat. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so on, on Saturday though, we took a much more aggressive strategy. So what we did was actually had two people running the booth and then uh, Adam and I went down and ran around on the fourth floor, which is where there's just a ton of activity. Um, with the explicit goal to talk to a huge list of the developers that we found on the map. So Supergiant was there, which is the people who make Bastion, Transistor, and Pyre's their new game. Uh, Behemoth was down there, who we've looked up to for a long time, just as far as how they operate. And we ended up having really phenomenal chats with both of those crews, which is really fun. 
um, learning a lot of stuff from them just about how they how they view these things and how they do stuff. And they they were so available as far as giving us their time. Yeah, uh, they're really just people. as excellent of people as you would assume after having played yeah. their games. <laughs> right. Yeah, and so we actually ended up spending I think about like twenty five minutes chatting with uh, the owner of Behemoth. Yeah, just, one of just, their co founders. Yeah, he just took us up. We walked outside the expo floor and just chatted in quiet, um, which was fantastic to get that like to get that. That guy's been around for a while. Their studio's been open since 2003 or something, and they're successful. It's like being able to just ask blunt questions like, why do you go to PAX? Yeah. What's the purpose of this? Uh, was super fun and super and useful And their answer was also really interesting. Yeah. Which you said, uh, we come here for playtesting, right? I mean, We just get a shitload of computers and put them out. Which is great. Like way more than we think we even need. And we just put games out that we're still working on and get people to playtest them. Yeah. And it's, like, it's a huge thing because- we we we've been having you know like like we said on Friday finding out that maybe this isn't as useful from a player facing context as we thought being able to go talk to people who've been around for a while been doing it and have them give us some more evidence to support that is nice because it makes it not, makes it so we don't have to strike out in the dark for so long before we figure out what we're doing. Um, so we talked to Behemoth and Supergiant and then walked the floor and talked to a bunch of new indies and stuff too that were at the other booths mm-hmm. and just kind of had a good time. I mean, really, it's like schmoozing, right? Well, yeah, schmoozing everywhere. Schmoozing on it. And of course, place. a lot of the other devs, like, it feels so bad for them because, I mean, I guess we were in the same position really, but like, they're just standing here for four days Yep. watching and just an endless stream of people come and ask the same like eight questions and play the same demo. Mm-hmm. Mostly just walk right by. Mostly just walk. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just like, they just stand on there. Yeah. And so for nine hours a day. Yeah. It's like as another dev days. to come over and just be like, Hey, what's going on? Like, Cause you're in the trenches with them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like you are both going through this hellacious scenario together right. <laughs> uh, where you all have to stand and you're like taking prophylactic ibuprofen all day and um, you're exhausted. And so just having that camaraderie of just like jumping into their booth and just chatting with them while they're just like, it's almost like a break. It's like a break for them. Yeah. You know? So yeah, yeah, we, we went and chatted with uh, a bunch of indies downstairs and had that same feeling where they're, we sort of, we're waiting in line. They're like, Oh yeah, we're up in the pack set upstairs. And then you just kind of talk shop for three or four minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's this nice sort of almost like a break because they're not selling anything at that point. Yep. And we chatted with the uh, the guy who made Stardew Valley was there. He's a, a couple of booths down from us. Um, and he seemed super appreciative that someone came by to like. Just to talk to him as a human. Just to talk shop as, yeah, as a human. Um, <laughs> he's a demigod. Yeah. So it was, that was a nice thing that we were able to do. And then just after, every single night afterwards, we'd go get burritos with people. That was like our shtick. We, had a lot of we rounded we rounded up one night we rounded up like 20 indie devs. The whole duelist team. It just invaded Qdoba. Yeah. It was incredible. Um, yeah, so we, yeah, the Duelist crew—they were a bunch of good, good folks. Yeah. So I think the the interesting thing, I guess, for us is it, it we wanted to treat it like a big learning experience, and we did. Um, but it's also just very surreal being at an event like that, right? Because heard about it a lot, and then there we are, and then we're talking to the you know super giant guys or behemoth or any of these people who have been like <laughs> who are you know sort of industry players they, you know, that you look up to or that have been making games that you just like really that you can really appreciate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's weird. It's a little weird. It's weird to be right in the middle of all that stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then we also got a chance to chat with um, the Rack 7 Oh, my God. Crew. These guys. So it's a it's a couple of guys from Canada, from Vancouver. Vancouver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're both super tall. And they both just always have this kind of like shit-eating grin. <laughs> they're kind of smirky. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> they're, just, they're just kind of internally uh, chuckling about pretty much everything. Yep. Um, and they're working on a game called Splitter Critters, which was, uh, and like, I don't mean any offense to the other PAX 10 games because they're all good games, but man, their game was fucking great. 
Yeah. Like, well, it's very, it, it reminds me of the same sort of mind twistiness that happened when Portal came out, where the mechanic is, the mechanic is weird enough that you have to learn how to think in a completely different mode in order to yeah, solve it. It's not a puzzle yeah. you've ever had to solve yeah. before. Well, and that's, and that's, well, this is kind of, it's a tricky area for them to navigate because I think I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say their game is great because it's still under development. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's going through all kinds of iterations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, the, it'll be highly dependent on the puzzles. Yes. The, the mechanic that they've come up with is something that I don't think anybody will have ever seen before. And it's even the case that like I went over there and I was like, okay, so how does this happen? Like I've been making, I've been making games now for five years and I've made hundreds of prototypes and I'm looking at the mechanic they have in their game. Can't figure it out. And I'm just like, what, what fucking witchcraft is happening here? And it literally involves slicing the world and then dragging pieces of the world around to refit them together. Yeah. But it's more like, it's almost more like slicing the view. Right. No, but what, what they're literally doing is slicing oh, right, the world that's in right, the code. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like they're, they're cutting the mesh that makes up the world and then allowing you to like re and, and you can then do multiple slices and, but yeah, so, I, so that's why I say though, that, um, it's that they're, yeah, their mechanic is really interesting. Uh, and I think it has the potential to make for a really awesome game. And I think they're on track for that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's such a, a weird concept to wrap your mind around as a player that it could very easily tip into the realm of being overwhelming or confusing to people. And so that execution is going to be very difficult to hit, but I think they can do it. Well, they said they're they're even, they retooled their, they're using it for testing purposes, being the PAX 10 too. Yep. Um, And they already retooled, they retooled a bunch of the demo like the first night because they had a huge difficulty spike on the third level that they didn't understand because they made the game. So they were completely understanding the mechanics yep, work. Yep. And then people were just getting stuck and getting frustrated and dying. So um, they were hilarious to talk to. And they also have another game, mm-hmm. which we can't actually, they told us not to tell anybody about it, but it's on their Twitter page. So we can at least we can say public. the name of it. Sneaky Sasquatch. Yeah. And oh my God. <laughs> yeah. We I'm, saw it while we were eating burritos together. And I think I haven't chuckled. I'm, I shot avocado out of every <laughs> hole in my it head. It is one of the Latin. funniest things I have ever seen. So I'm super excited for that to come out. Um, I'm assuming they'll start posting about it after Splitter Critter. Yeah, so, so it's RAC7. Yeah, we, we didn't really sign an NDA or anything, but out of respect, we cannot we'll disclose information other than that this game better exist soon. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. You guys have any other big takeaways from PAX or any other uh No, I mean, it was, it was super interesting. I'm, I'm really glad we went. Um... Definitely learned a lot. Here's a question. Would we strategies. go again? Yes. But probably... Uh, with some tweaks to our plan. Sp- our, our plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, and I think it also depends on what we have to show, right? Because I think one of the one of the important lessons is that one of the most valuable things there, as we said, was going and seeing other developers or meeting with our various business contacts and that sort of thing. And uh, in the other part, the showing of the booth is hugely taxing and exhausting. Mm-hmm. The rest was actually very fun and very productive and useful, but showing the booth is just, it's just it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it may be the case if we don't have a new game or we don't have something that's ready to be play tested or we're like a ways out from, you know, if we're kind of in a spot where there just isn't something really new to show, uh, just have a couple of us fly out there and yeah, we might chat. just, we mm. might just attend not exhibit. Right. But yeah. yeah. Uh, alternatively, we may set up a big booth. that's like all about all of our butterscotch games where, you know, I mean, who knows? We will have to decide what the, what the motive is going to be. But, oh, but I will say there was one thing hmm. that blew my fucking mind. Uh, is it, there was this one guy there who had a prototype game on his back. Oh yeah. And he was, was awesome. He was an attendee, but he was also a game developer and he 
had a giant uh, Asus touchscreen that he had built some kind of contraption and like, it was like a backpack. Yeah, it was like a backpack. Uh, that he had just, like strapped himself into so that everywhere he walked around, he just had his game running on his back. And since a lot of packs involves standing in line, waiting for things to happen, then he's like, I'm just giving the person behind me a chance to play test my game. Right? Brilliant. <laughs> so, and it's clever. also because it was on his back, then people didn't have to feel like, cause like there was apparently at one packs, there was somebody who was cosplaying an arcade cabinet. Oh, yeah, and, he had his game there, didn't he? Yeah, and they had their game in, like in the arcade cabinet, but it was facing forward. Mm-hmm. And so while you're playing this game, there's also this person just like just oh, social pressure staring yeah. right into your eyes. <laughs> so, but they asked him to shut it down because he didn't pay to be an exhibitor. Yep. Oh, so, really? Yeah, he had to, he had to, he still wore it, but he had to turn it off. So, huh. so it was a bummer. <laughs> That's a bit of a bummer. But yeah. Uh, but then that makes me wonder: can an exhibitor do that? Like, oh, yeah. If you, if you paid for booth space, can Actually, you wear a, a backpack question. that's made of your game? Huh. I, I bet that know. falls in one of those gray areas that it depends yeah. on who you talk to while you're there. That means you should just do it and just do ask it. for forgiveness yep. later. Or don't ask for forgiveness. Just do whatever you want. Just have no remorse. All right. So uh, so we're, let's get to the questions. We're going to do just a few. It's going to be a, quick, a quicker podcast this week because we're all taxed. And diseased. We're paxed and, dis- and poxed. Our goose paxed. got cooked. Uh-huh. So... Questions come from podcast.bscotch.net. You can sling them in there with your bscotch ID to get a cool perk, which is an avatar of some coffee. With uh, a butterscotch. With butterscotch flying into it. Also, Andy tested it out. He had coffee with butterscotch in it. Apparently, it's delicious. Yeah. I got a buddy up in uh, Canada, a gaming buddy, who orders butterscotch coffee from Tim Hortons every day. He's like, it's the best shit in the universe. Ooh, hey. so. Well, we also, I forgot to mention, we, we had our fan meetup on Thursday night before PAX. Started. Oh, yeah. Um, it was awesome. It was super cool. We went into the, the Starbucks uh, roastery, which is probably one of the most beautiful buildings I've ever been in. Yeah, I just wanted to cool. live there. If anybody yeah. can go there, go there. It's in Seattle. And um, and it's like a two blocks from the convention center. Or yeah, something? it's it's all like wood and copper. So it just has this like warm, rustic. rustic is that the word? Fun. I'm yeah. sure. I don't know what that word sure. means, really. Um, and they made some delicious coffee. And then we there happened to be this huge mahogany long table that was just sitting there unused in kind of a back room. And I think everybody must have thought that it was like a reserved for I somewhere. Mean, we because thought it we looks, couldn't use it, but we asked yeah, it anyway. kind of looks separate. And so we just asked the barista if we could use it. He's like, yeah, you can sit there, you can sit there, you can sit there. So we claimed this back. That so we had a whole table. Said, actually, I was like, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we had this whole table with a, with even with a glass staircase and balcony over it for some reason. Um, and we ended up having, I don't know, 10 or so people come by. Yeah. I yeah. like, for some including reason, I- Alan MB medical doctor. Oh, yes, the medical box. He was wearing a butterscotch shirt. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, I got a kick out of, like, taking pictures of us in empty spaces and then sending out tweets. Yeah. Like, look at all the people here. Yeah, because, like, we when we were first prepping for that, then we had a picture of us just sitting at the mahogany table, this giant mahogany table, just completely by ourselves. (laughs) And we're like, fan meetup, you know? (laughs) Then we had a panel. Yeah, and then Sam was on a panel, uh, PAX 10 panel, and I took a picture of the room before the panel started. They didn't even open the doors yet. (laughs) They didn't open the doors yet. There was nobody in there, and it was just like Sam uh, sitting up at the front and one other person. And I was just like, PAX 10 panel, packed house. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you saw the responses. We got some, like, sympathetic like, at least you guys got, it's cool. You got to be on a yeah. panel, you know, it's fine. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, so then Carol felt bad because she was like, oh, some people aren't getting this. This is actually a joke. So then she, yeah, I mean, it doesn't took, sound like she a took joke. another picture well, once they opened the doors and there were actually people in there. <laughs> this is the problem with inside jokes that only you understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, first question from podcast at bscotch.net comes from Map5597, who asks, 
how do you guys feel about demo versions for games? I want to talk about this just because we did a big demo at PAX. Uh, personally, I think it's a good idea. Before I got Kerbal Space Program in Minecraft, I played the free demo version to see if it was something I would like. Will the next paid game have a demo? I think it so depends. Let's talk about demos. Yeah. I think for a sandbox game, I think a demo is probably not bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's... Which would include both of those games, you imagine. I, yeah. I don't know if it's good, but I would say it's probably not necessarily bad. Okay. I think for... A lot of games that are more um, uh, linear or story-driven or whatever, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Because mm-hmm. in a sandbox game, you know, a demo gives you the opportunity to kind of like explore some of the mechanics. Mm-hmm. And as long as you get a sense of the scope of like all the zany things that you're going to get to do, because that's what a, sand- a sandbox is like a toy, right? right? You get to play with it in all these cool ways. Um, but the feeling I always get when I play a demo for something that's more of a single player game, like an RPG or a, like a first person shooter, that's like a single player campaign or whatever. And they start to play it. And then I'm kind of like, eh, like I kind of see where this is going, you know, uh, or I feel like I've kind of played something pretty dang similar to this before. Sure. Um, and it may be the case that there's going to be some like nuanced, interesting game systems that come further down the road, but you don't get to see those in the first like 30 mm-hmm. minutes of gameplay. So I don't know. What's well, an interesting problem we had at PAX in particular, collapsing the Crashlands game systems into a about like a five 10 minute, to ten minute demo experience, because um, it really runs people. It's kind of like a gauntlet. I mean, you're people are learning how we how we handle tool usage, which is completely different than most games, in that it just sucks into your body and then it comes out whenever you need it. But you don't need to manually pick anything up. Yeah, it's but you automatic. do need to manually retrieve your crafted items from stations, which is a totally new thing. Yep. Uh, they have cook times. They're, the eggs take a while to hatch, and you got to come back to them. All these things that people are not necessarily familiar with, and so you kind of just you're just like slamming someone in the face with it. And the truth is that you know learning a game system can be very frustrating, actually. And we did have a few people who thought that something should work a particular way, and then wouldn't sort of change how they were thinking about it given the, the feedback they were getting. And so after a few you know stagnating moments, we'd just like get up and leave. Yeah, the interesting ones were when somebody would would target something and then press every button on the controller except except for the button that did a thing mm-hmm. and then they would just leave yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they'd be like i guess like i don't know and then that's yeah. it yeah because because it's also the case that if you buy a game you're committed you're gonna try that last button yeah. right <laughs> uh because you're like i want to figure this out I, I sat down for a play session or whatever when you're at the at a convention floor playing a game that you don't have an active save in you haven't paid for um you have no investment in it and, and also you're a thousand other games around there's a thousand other games around and all your friends are like come on let's go let's go let's go right you any you need any reason whatsoever to be like nah it's almost like the free-to-play yeah. context it yeah. is actually i was thinking a lot about that hmm. that demoing a game on a show floor is very much like a free-to-play relationship hmm. between you and your players interesting and there are ads everywhere so yeah yeah Actually, yeah. It's just exactly your Demoing a game on a show floor is like releasing a free-to-play game. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. I well, wonder if maybe a, in kind of in the distant future, once Crashlands has kind of pulled all the weight we could think it could possibly pull, if we actually released a free demo just on Steam, just temporarily. To see what happened. As an experiment. Basically A-B testing, right? We just release it for a while. See what it does. It's a good idea. Kind of, it could be really interesting. We'd have to probably have to talk to Steam and see if they'd be down because we'd have to basically put something up and then take it back. I, I will say though that I think I think having a demo is really a it's a tricky situation to navigate depending on where you're distributing. So 
on Steam, you can actually do a demo and it literally mm-hmm. says demo. Yeah. Right? right. Which players go into that with an expectation of this is a tiny slice of the game and mm-hmm. I'm just trying it. Right. Um, if you are on mobile, there is no concept of a demo. Like yeah. The storefronts do not support that idea. And so you either have a game that you just get or a game that you pay for. Mm-hmm. And so we've done stuff like in Flop Rocket, you could pretty much consider what you get in Flop Rocket a demo with a $3 full game purchase, mm-hmm. right? Because a demo is really just like it's a small slice of an existing game. Um, and because we don't have a reliable way to frame it as a demo on like right on the storefront, on the store page of the game, uh, there's no button that says like get demo or anything mm-hmm. like that, right? Uh, then people just go into it with the expectation that they're just getting the whole thing for free. And we actually get review bombed when we do that, yeah. right? So people are like, I played this for a couple hours, and then now I have to pay for some goddamn stuff? paywall. Uh, yeah, and, and I think it stands to reason that you know both of the games um, listed in the question, which are Kerbal Space Program and, and Minecraft, um, they are they have the ability to frame things in that way, right? Minecraft they distribute through their own website, right. so they can say like, download the demo, which when you click that, you get the demo, right? Right. And Kerbal Space Program is through Steam, and they can do the mm-hmm. same thing. So. Um, I think it definitely can work, and I've seen it work, but it's a tricky, tricky water to it's, navigate. It's much more nuanced than I think people give it credit for. Yeah. They're it's not just like, they're good or they're bad, but of course, everything is nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. People seem to not be aware of this fact. Speaking of which, we wrote an article in Games Industry that went up last week. For anyone to read about. It was nuanced as fuck. Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that that sentence describes our, <laughs> our intellectual approach pretty well. Things are nuanced as fuck. Yeah, 100% nuanced all the way. <laughs> I wish we could title this podcast episode Nuanced as Fuck. We probably yeah. can. We can do whatever we want. That's true, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, seriously, it's very black and white. Literally everything we do is 100% nuanced. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's, get, let's hit the next question. I think we only have time for one more question. Okay. So let's do it. Let me... I'm going to pull another one up here. Choose your favorite one from this list. Whip out that new fancy gold phone. Mm. Sam got a Galaxy It's actually just a gold brick. I think Kevin888 kind of cheated here because he asked, how was PAX? Yeah, we answered He had to know we would talk about it. He even asked, how was slash is PAX, just to be safe. (laughs) Just to keep it clever, Kevin. Uh, Olner Vern asks an interesting question about the creator. Uh, He asks, Adam, do you think you could add a choice system to the creator? Would that require too much work? Uh, my choice. I'm, I'm assuming a dialogue. Yeah. Response. Here's system. here's my here's my quick answer. Adding a dialogue response would be very tricky given what currently exists to both do that in the game and in the creator. Mm-hmm. It, would, it would just require doing a bunch of something. Uh, I think it would probably be easier on the creator than in the game, but Seth would have to speak to that. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> significantly. I mean, it would require an entire new. It's a new, new system. It would require an entire new UI mechanism to be able to respond to yeah. things. Um, on top of a new system, but on top of everything else. But yeah. I will say though that uh, one of the fun things about constraints, mm-hmm. in this case, not having a choice system via the dialogue, is that people will come up with really clever mechanisms given what they do have to still get that thing right because. The whole idea here of of the of the choice as a as a function of story, because you're thinking probably of like Fallout or right. these other these other games that have some story element where you go talk to somebody, you get some dialogue options and choose one, and things unfold from there. Uh, so we don't have that, but because we have these this modular questing system um, where things can be dependent on stuff like location and that sort of thing, then 
then what you could actually do is basically depending on where an NPC is and goes and where you are and go, only certain things will actually end up being available to you. Mm-hmm. So you can actually create a branching quest line where well, there's actually there's where there's an even, even easier way to do it. What's that? Which is you can have, so there's two types of quest prerequisites. So the idea, the yeah. idea of a quest prerequisite is a quest needs to have been done in order to get the next one, mm-hmm. right? It's a quest chain. It's a quest chain. But we actually have a second type of quest prerequisite, which is that another quest is not completed, but is active. Correct. Right? So all it would take is for us to add a third option, because that also includes says active or completed, right? Ah. So take us, all we would have to do is add a third option that would say, this quest must be currently active. Because that would mean you could talk to somebody. They could be like, hey, if you want to do this, talk to me again. Otherwise, go talk to Jerry over there. Right? Ooh. That way, so once you talk to Jerry, quest is no longer active, shuts the other branch down. Yep. Because then it ends up being complete. Right. Yep. In that. And it's no longer longer active, and you've made your choice. That doesn't sound cool. Anyway. Yeah. But what we're getting at here is there are some potentially logically confusing. Yep. But definitely ways that you'll be able to use the tools that we have to provide choice. As a, now, I, as a I will say, though, because it's it's definitely the case that there, we have some people reading a lot more into what the creator is uh, than what is really there, which is, uh, you know, we've had some people on the Crashlands subreddit saying things like, oh, I'm so excited to make a tower defense game with this. Um, like if you want to make an entirely different genre of game, that's not an action RPG, basically. Um, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a bad time because <laughs> right. because what is available to you in the creator is all the mechanisms that we use to piece together the campaign, right? Mm-hmm. So quests, characters, putting together outposts, having the world change in response to quests, um, boss fights, and then with a handful of mutators that mm-hmm. will allow you to kind of overlay some interesting sort of global effects like persistent nighttime. Maybe permadeath. Um, permadeath, turning off uh, build mode so that you cannot, you know, like lay down bases and stuff or even like turning off um, resources spawning in the world, which would mean you'd be responsible for placing everything um, if you wanted to just have a totally blank slate to work with. So it's it's basically like you have these modifiers, but it's not going to be like, uh, say... Again, yeah, creativity though, right? Because I can make a tower defense game in the creator can you? by... Having by staging it so that all of a sudden a whole bunch of creatures appear on the screen at once, right? So, because people think of it as waves of things coming in from the outside, which is not possible. Or if you could play Smash Blossoms, oh, yeah. Well, they only hurt you, they only hurt you, oh, yeah. <laughs> but no, but, <laughs> but you could basically you could just have it so that if you kill X number of wombats, so say like three appear, right? You kill them, you've now completed the quest, you trigger a stage change, trigger a scene change. Now a bigger group appears right where you are. Right? You don't have any towers though? Where's your towers? This is just no, be, but but we can. But now we. But then we can add something like. Yeah, but see, the thing like is, yeah, it, turret, it would be right? it would be easy for us to add to add a few items to the game that would just like persistently damage enemies or something mm-hmm. like right. that. Um, and so that's the kind of stuff that we would like to do when we launch a creator patch. Is also throw some extra items in there that that, that you normally out. wouldn't even have in the normal game yeah um but that you'd be able to place out there in the world mm-hmm. using the creator right so the important takeaway is that this isn't just a blanket tool that you can just do whatever you want and make something you can't just recreate exactly something that already if you exists. want to do that just get game maker yeah just make yeah. it and then just make get it on the humble bundle and download the source code because right <laughs> oh, yeah. now oh yeah yeah, yeah. because right that. now you can get the game maker humble bundle which includes 
game four maker. Four of our games. Yeah, it includes it includes the source code for four games that we've made. Including One of Flop which Rocket. is Flop Rocket, mm-hmm. um, which is I think in just like the fifteen dollar tier or yeah. something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you can take all those however many thousands, tens of thousands of lines of code. Boom, fifteen bucks. It's like pennies on the on the line. Mm-hmm. Plus, you also yeah. get Game Maker, right? Which normally, and it, it's Game Maker plus plus I think, all the export modules. Plus all export them. modules. I mean, it's we're, $600, we're yeah, we're really talking like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars of nuts of for fifteen bucks. For fifteen bucks. So, so if so. you've ever thought about doing game dev, go to yoyogames.com, find the link, or go to humblebundle.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, either one. And buy that thing. And then you can learn how to make games and then you can make your own tank tower defense. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, but yeah. then, yeah. So, but, but it does mean that what, what this is really going to give people the opportunity to do is think very carefully and do clever stuff, exercising the constraints that we've given them. And we're going to be giving you a, an enormous number of really cool, very modular tools. And so if you're clever enough, you'll come up with proxies of just about anything you can think of. Yeah. But it won't be exactly a tower defense game the way that somebody thinks about it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 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 And when are, what's our, do we have, do we have any plans about the creative that we want to share? You mean uh, like timelines? Even guesstimations. Yeah. The timelines. current guesstimate is assuming we're now post pack. So kind of things have settled down a bit. Uh, and so this is assuming we can just kind of run ahead and work on stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a bad assumption, which is not a great assumption, but <laughs> let's, let's roll with it. It's better but now. Do it anyway. It's better now than it ever has been for quite a while. Uh, so probably something like four to six weeks of finishing the overhaul of the creator to make it look good. So that's already moved along really well. Security features are all done and added. The Carol's already finished all of the work figuring out what it should look like. So just how, how to re remodel the thing. And, uh, and I'm in the weeds actually reshaping it so that it can work with that new uh, UX design. Um, so we're looking at something like four to six weeks to get all that done and ready for beta testing. That's and not, then, that's not to say the beta will start then. Cause we also have to prepare a bunch of other stuff for beta. Right. For beta. Yeah. yeah. So, cause that includes, you got to update stuff and add it to the game potentially and, and that kind of thing. So in other words, so it'll be a while. In other words, well, it's, <laughs> It's really just, not that far just away. Just years. It's really not that far away. It's something, something like, well, and we'll probably have a, a very early beta, probably, which will include our uh, beta testers from Crashlands mm-hmm. because they're really familiar with the game. They know how to give feedback. We brought them in for that reason. Uh, so we'll probably invite them and in And they're really all just early. amazing, amazing, beautiful, wonderful people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, all the good uh, qualities. And yeah. so they'll, if they want if they want to go into the wild west of early beta, then that will be probably something that we'll, that we'll have people do. And, and it's going to be a rolling beta as well. So we'll invite them. We'll invite people in groups. Um, it is the case that you can go request an invite so you can get in line to get one, which you need to do by going to some URL, which I can never remember. <laughs> well, we'll but, talk about it when we get closer to the beta. So... Uh, but yeah, if you just do a search for Crashlands Creator Invite, Creator Bait, probably, bait you'll probably find it. We'll figure it out. Who yeah. knows? All Anyways, right. Well, I think. I think. Yeah, I think that's all we got for today, for this week, I guess. So yeah, thanks for listening, and we will see everybody next week. Next week, <laughs> we'll see you in your ears. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.